Welcome to the Free to Be More podcast by the Enoch Pratt Free Library. I'm your host, Megan McCorkle. This podcast series features conversations with leaders and innovators having a positive impact in our city. Let's get started. Your journey starts here. In June of 1969, New York City police raided a gay nightclub known as the Stonewall Inn, sparking an uprising amongst bar patrons and neighbors. The Stonewall Uprising was a catalyst for the LGBTQ rights movement both in the U.S. and around the world. Now, 50 years later, strides have been made in the quest for equal rights, but there's still a long way to go. Emily Sachs has been a librarian here at the Pratt Library for nearly 10 years, recently in the African-American department. She also helped organize the library's participation in Pride this year. Dorian Gray is an office support specialist in the library's Collection Access Services Division. Emily, Dorian, thank you so much for being with us. Thank you. Thanks for the invitation. Yes. So I'm interested. Um, I've talked about this with friends. and There are questions people have, but they never want to offend anybody. So I think we're going to have like a fearless conversation. We're going to ask the questions that people maybe don't want to ask. And our business is information. So hopefully this will help. Mm-hmm. Okay. I have heard different acronyms for the LGBTQ community. I've heard LGBTQ, LGBTQIA, LGBTQ+. So I'm interested in sort of going through each one of those and defining what kind of as much as you can define what the letters mean. So I guess L, I think people get it up to like a certain point, but L. That's, the, I mean, the L stands for lesbian. Mm-hmm. So that's referring to sexual orientation. Yep. Um, so that's, you know, a woman who's attracted to other women romantically, sexually, emotionally, all yeah. those things. Yes. G. Uh, that, that's generally uh, gay. Well, in the context of gay men, mm-hmm. um, uh, if you see the L and the G, that probably means gay men. Sure. Um, uh, on its own, it can be gay men or gay women. Mm-hmm. Um, sure. Yeah. Um, B is bisexual. Yes. Somebody who's attracted to either men or women. Yes. Okay. <clears throat> T. Uh, that's that's generally uh, transgender, which can be uh, an umbrella term for lots of different expressions of uh, gender identity and, and, uh, and how you feel inside. But uh, many of those things, like non-binary and gender fluid, they tend to be under a transgender umbrella. Mm-hmm. So it's sort of the greater letter that defines a lot of different yes. types of communities. That T could probably have a bunch of letters underneath <laughs> it. But. Mm-hmm. Um, Q is queer. Well, this is a super fun one. Yeah. When I first thought about it, I thought it was actually Q was for questioning because it used to be sort of questioning. I think it was yes. for like people who you know still had questions about their either their sexual orientation or their gender identity. Mm-hmm. But now I definitely think you hear it used more as um, as queer. And I think if you sat at a, ta- at a table with four people, you'd get four different definitions of what uh-huh. queer is. Yes. Yeah, yeah, I would definitely agree with that. Um, I heard it uh, the other way. I had heard uh, queer first, okay. and then I heard questioning later. And I was like, okay. oh, yeah, I guess that makes sense. Uh-huh. But um, but yes, uh, that one, because the, uh, the the group as a whole is so is non-monolithic, uh-huh. you will have lots of other lots of people with different ideas sure and, and they define queer for themselves yeah and it's and, it's, and it's reach it can even be regional maybe just people in this part of the in the country they're like oh the q stands for queer and people in the other oh that's definitely questioning you're wrong about that and but <laughs> the other thing about queer that i would say and to me it's like it's again an umbrella term that's like an acknowledgement of the fact that gender identity and sexual orientation are just like really like fluid things they change a lot um 
that there's not always an either or for a lot of people. Sure. Right. But the big thing about it is that um, it's a generational thing, too. Um, the word queer used to be a pretty offensive term. And to some people, mm-hmm. it still is kind of derogatory. Um, it was, you know, a mean word to call somebody mm-hmm. who wasn't straight. Um, and so I think you'll find people of a certain generation who still don't like the use of it. Mm-hmm. Um, but there's like a younger generation that have sort of like reclaimed the word mm-hmm. um, as sort of an empowering way. Um, so I, I think just like being sensitive to the fact that there is a, there is a generational divide there sure. with that term. I've seen the plus sign after LGBTQ, and I've only really seen that recently. What does that signify? Well, the way I've interpreted it okay. is that uh, is in a way, in a sense, being aware of one's own ignorance is like if there's any other gender or sex minority that I didn't think of. Uh-huh. <laughs> That too, but um, that that's how I've interpreted mm-hmm. the plus that that is, is open to ideas of uh, because it seems like with every generation there are people that we're considering that we didn't consider before. Sure, and that's that's what I at least have uh, interpreted the plus as. Mm-hmm. I think it's it's interesting because it's sort of the inclusive. Yes, yes, absolutely. Mm-hmm. I've also seen IA, and that's been recently too added to the end of LGBTQ. So can we go with what is the I? So I is, um, as I know it, it's intersex. Okay. And that's really referring to, I think of it in like in a medical or a biological context mm-hmm. in terms of the fact that there are some people who are born with both male and female sex organs and sex yes, characteristics. Absolutely. Um, and I think the thing about intersex is that um, some people confuse being transgender with being intersex and they're right. not necessarily the same thing. Uh-huh. Exactly. They're different. Um, so for example, there is a medical condition called androgen insensitivity disorder where someone with XY chromosomes can have either partial or full immunity to the hormone testosterone. Hmm. And so essentially what happens is they grow up basically as a cisgender female and they only find out that they don't have XX chromosomes when they go to the doctor because they never get their period. Wow. And so for intersex, it can be the the inherent biological realities that are more complicated than what we think of as male or female. And then A is the last letter I've seen added to the end. We know asexual. Asexual. Yeah, asexual. someone who um, is not sexually attracted to men or women. Yeah. Yes. Okay. So we've broken down all of the letters <laughs> that we know. Yes, <laughs> some of them. That's why they have the plus, I guess, to be inclusive. Um, I know this is a really um, monumental year specifically for the Pride movement, uh, with the Stonewall Uprising being 50 years ago. Can you explain a little bit about what happened in the Stonewall Uprising and why it was such a landmark moment? So um, it is the 50th anniversary of Stonewall. Um, it's the Stonewall Inn was a gay club in New York City, uh-huh. um, in Greenwich Village. And in June, was it 27th or 28th? The end of June in 1969, there was a massive uh, police raid on it, as there often were um, at gay clubs during that era. Sure. But what basically happened was there were they were arresting folks who worked there and patrons of the bar, and they um, a bunch of the people kind of hanging around, the patrons who hadn't been arrested or other bystanders hanging around were like, we're done with this, like we've had enough. This, this is it. And this we're tired of police repression of mm-hmm. our of our human rights. And so they started throwing things and they started yelling things and it really erupted into an all out rebellion uh, yes, uprising. The, yeah, but the police had ended up having to barricade themselves against the crowd. Wow. Yeah. And so it's yeah. 180. Yeah. So like today, I think it's kind of seen as like this watershed moment in the LGBTQ movement, in the gay liberation movement. Um, I mean, it wasn't that 
I think one of the misconceptions is that, oh, there was nothing happening, no kind of organizing or anything happening before that. And it's not true. There were all these organizations like doing work. But this was, I think after this, things became like a lot more public, Mm -hmm. um, a lot more defiant, Mm -hmm. a lot more prideful. Mm -hmm. Um, And then a year later, a bunch of folks decided to march down the street to commemorate this really important event. And that's what became what we know as like our gay pride parades that happen all around the world in various cities. Mm-hmm. Yes, I, I would agree. There was something specifically affirming about that, I think, because um, when police show up and physically oppress you, that can be arguably the worst form of oppression, just sure. very physical. And so I think there was a sense that if people survived that, then we can certainly argue policy, mm-hmm. for example. And I think that the most useful thing to come out of that was this sense of constant vigilance. Because when you talk about most social justice issues, it can be like uh, Sisyphus pushing the boulder up the hill. When you stop, it starts rolling back Mm -hmm. down. So you have to be, uh, especially, you know, for example, there are people who are trying to take away the rights of trans people in homeless shelters, Mm -hmm. you know, people trying to ban uh, trans people from the military as an example. And so there was this sense of ever vigilance that came from, I think, the Stonewall riots. Mm -hmm. Obviously, both of you work in libraries. Why are libraries such an important place for the LGBTQ communities? Well, a lot of LGBTQ people don't have safe safe spaces, even within their own households. Mm -hmm. And so it is very valuable to be able to go somewhere, and especially a place with a library where a lot of people don't know what they're feeling or why they're feeling and they need something they can relate to and there's literature written by gay and lesbian and trans people who have been through these things and it's Mm -hmm. good especially if you come from a place that's not accepting your environment's not accepting sure to be able to go to a place like a library and to read the things that you need to read Mm -hmm. and and the things that that help you give get a greater understanding that Mm -hmm. it's not okay that your family treats you that way if they treat you that way sure or you are not a freak. You're not, there are many people like you and there are many people, and sometimes you need to know that there are people who who have been what through what you've been through. Yeah, and I would just echo that and say that the part of like the content of what we have in the buildings is a huge part of it. Um, literature, you know, they always talk about, uh, you know, literature as a mirror of who you are. Sure. And so, I mean, just to be personal for a second, as a, as a little girl growing up who felt different from other little girls around her, mm-hmm. it was really cool to be able to like read literature, whether it was like, you know, Beverly Cleary or I don't know, Pippi Longstocking or whatever it was to be able to read these books, um, and like sort of see yourself reflected in them when mm-hmm. you looked around you and you didn't necessarily see little girls who were acting like you, you sure. know? And so I could see girls who were like getting dirty and refusing to wear dresses and, um, being detectives and, you know, building things and doing all these things mm-hmm. that were outside of this very traditional gender spectrum. Mm-hmm. So that's a huge part of it. And then the other part is also what you said, which is that where this, anybody can walk in here and get any question answered, sure. right? Like we're, that we have a very firm ethical code that I think people that work here feel very um, strongly about, which is being non-judgmental. Uh-huh. So for LGBTQ people, many of who have had these experiences of feeling really, really different or marginalized, uh-huh. whatever, you can walk in here and, yeah, I do. Maybe they do have a question about sexual orientation or about gender identity or about medical issues or hormones, or maybe it's just they want a job, they want to help getting a job, sure. or they want you know help with their taxes, or they want a good book to read that has sassy female characters or uh-huh. sassy male characters, or you know. <laughs> 
you know, a, a, a book that's uh, a, a romance, a same-sex romance. Mm-hmm. And you have people here whose little job it is to help you find all those things. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. If you, if you watch a YouTube video or a movie about an older LGBTQ person, one thing that constantly comes up over and over, and they'll say, well, young person, this was back in blah, blah, blah. This was before we had all the literature. And so I felt alone because uh, I didn't. Yeah. Yeah. Especially, it's particularly with like trans people. They're like, I had these feelings and I didn't know because there was no explanation for it at mm-hmm. the time. I didn't, I didn't have the internet is, is what a lot of people say. Sure. And so that information now is extremely valuable because it's something that a lot of people who fought the fight didn't have back then. Mm-hmm. And I think it's a good message to get out there to people who maybe are looking for a place that the library is a place that can come and get questions answered. Absolutely. Baltimore Pride this year, the theme is unity through diversity. Dorian, for you, why do you feel that that message is so important? Because um, whenever I get into discussions about privilege, I try to make it known that privilege is situational Mm -hmm. and that it's possible to have privilege in one area and not have privilege in another area. And the reason I bring that up is because In the LGBTQ spectrum, there can also be divisions in terms of race. So, for example, when aid did come to gay people Mm -hmm. for things like, you know, the HIV epidemic, Mm -hmm. uh, people found that certain demographics got that aid before other demographics got Mm -hmm. it, as an example. And you look at statistics like if you're a trans woman of color, you're much more likely to face violence than a trans woman who is not of color. And of course, things like class play into that too. And so diversity uh, is important because for one thing, we're all stronger together, but Mm -hmm. it's important to recognize our own privileges and disadvantages in that complex web Mm -hmm. of of the, I think, LGBTQ umbrella. Mm -hmm. Emily, do you think it sends a message that that was chosen to be the theme this year? Yeah, absolutely. And all just for the reasons that Dorian said, um, I think that we're having these discussions and whether we're calling it or not, we're having these discussions about what we kind of academics would call intersectionality, which Mm -hmm. is basically what what Dorian was just talking about. Like we all have these intersecting social identities, whether it's race, class, or sexual orientation, gender identity. And within the larger umbrella of the LGBTQ community, all these identities exist too. And I'm going to do a very librarian thing, which is to (laughs) say... um, you know, consider a Venn diagram, which people might not know. But basically, it's this idea where all these identities are like separate little circles, right? And they mm-hmm. and they come together and they overlap, right, in all these areas. But they also don't overlap in areas. And so for me, I think about this in terms like, I think it's too simplistic to say like, well, let's just focus on what we have in common, which is important. But I think it's the whole point is like, don't stop there. Like, yes, let's come together in, in unity and focus on what we do have in common. But let's also like celebrate the the stuff on the outside. Mm-hmm. Um, that's, that's, that's unique, right. you know, so that's what it means. That's what it means to me. And I think it's a very important time to be having this discussion. How do you feel like people can be uh, that are not part of the communities be a powerful ally to the LGBTQ communities? Um, <sighs> I guess I think there's probably a couple different ways. One would be just by recognizing that, like, if you are a straight person and if and if you are a um, a person who's, I would say, cisgender, so a person whose sex assigned at birth aligns with your gender identity, mm-hmm. okay? Just recognize that that's not the only identity that exists in the world, sure. you know? And that's not to say, that's not to elevate one over the other, but just 
acknowledging the diversity of humans, right? Mm -hmm. I'd say that. I'd say being aware and being willing to stick up for people um, when you do see maybe discrimination occurring or when you see, when you hear offensive language being used, Mm -hmm. um, you know, being aware of that and maybe intervening in whatever way uh, is is good for you. I would also say... um, take the opportunity to educate yourself. You know, we're, we're a great institution to do that at. Sure. We have tons of content for that. And also, I mean, there's so many good LGBTQ authors out there. Um, there's great LGBTQ musicians, artists. I think exposing yourself to that kind of stuff is good because A, you're like supporting the community economically. Sure. And B, a lot of the, the culture that is produced by LG, LGBTQ people actually is them expressing and talking about their identity. So you're going to learn something at the same time. Mm-hmm. And then last, politics is a really big deal for me. So I would just say um, being aware of what the political candidates' positions are. Um, And so when you go to the ballot box, thinking about, um, you know, their positions on issues that affect your your LGBTQ friends. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I would agree with that. And I would say that uh, no matter what sort of minority you are, Mm -hmm. a lot of the important work happens when that minority isn't there. So, for example, if you are a man who wants to be an ally to women, uh, you should fight for women when there are no women in the room. Mm -hmm. Um, If you are a white person who wants to be an ally to people of color, fight for them when there are no people of color in the room. Mm -hmm. Because a lot of it, uh, I went to a very religious private school as a quote unquote boy. And uh, at one point, the teacher pulled all the boys aside and he explained to us that it's in the Bible that it is man's natural right to be in a position of dominion over women. And he just wanted to make that clear to all of the boys. And I never felt more like such a covert agent. Right. (laughs) (laughs) I was like, I'm going to tell. Yeah. And when you're taught that at such a young age, I mean. And I was, I already felt like, oh, well, that clearly doesn't apply to me. But, Mm -hmm. (laughs) but yes, uh, spaces where people can work against inclusivity and, and, egalitarianism do exist. Mm -hmm. And I think that a lot of the important work needs to be done there. Emily, Dorian, thank you so much for being a part of this, I think, really important conversation. Thank you for having us. Thanks so much. The Enoch Pratt Free Library is now offering video games. From educational games for children to fun games for kids and adults, you can get them for free at select Pratt locations. You're free to be more at the Pratt. Lowe Smith is a non-binary librarian living and working in Baltimore. When they aren't working or reading, they can be found in the bouldering gym, drinking coffee on the couch with their cats, or practicing acro yoga with the Be More Bone Stackers. Lowe, thank you for joining us. I'm happy to be here. Hi, Megan, what are your pronouns? My pronouns are she, her, hers. Yours? Mine are they, them, theirs. Yes. And so I introduced you as non-binary. Can you explain what non-binary is for someone who's not familiar with that? Sure. I can explain it for me. Um, As with a lot of different kinds of identity, it's very unique to each one of us. Sure. But for me, it's all about living in the gray zone between genders. So you've got men, you've got women, you've got gender neutral bathrooms. So there is a lot going on when we talk about gender identity. And being non-binary is really identifying outside of man or woman. It can be somewhere in the middle. It can be somewhere else entirely. And for each one of us, it's a little bit different. But for me, it just means that I don't really find myself aligned with either group. Mm-hmm. And I think we just sort of uh, gave a good example of it. But what are the ways people be, can be more inclusive when it comes to pronoun usage? Okay. 
Well, one of the things is non-binary people, some of us, make sure you ask, use they, them pronouns or gender neutral pronouns. There are some other ones out there too, but they, them is the most common. Okay. And so some of the ways that people can be particularly inclusive with their pronoun usage is definitely participating in the pronouns. Just like you did, we started off our interview where I asked you your pronouns. I can make a lot of assumptions about you. Sure. The way that you look, the way that you talk, the way that you act, the things that I know about your life. But I don't want to just assume that I know your pronouns. So that's a really great way to start. You can start meetings, phone calls, even just a quick handshake. What are your pronouns? Or you don't even have to ask. You can begin by just stating yours. Mm -hmm. Another great way is to always include your pronouns in your email signature. Mm -hmm. That way, it's not necessarily outing someone, and that means just sort of exposing them by having them include their pronouns. But if everyone has pronouns, it's not weird. Buttons are a great way to do it as well. You may have seen some of your favorite librarians wearing buttons that say, my pronouns are Mm -hmm. she, her, hers, he, him, his, or they, them, theirs. If everybody wears a button, it's a little less weird when someone has to wear theirs that says they, them. Mm -hmm. Another great thing that everyone can do is be the one who jumps in on corrections. So rather than having the person who uses gender neutral pronouns have to say, excuse me, you mean they. Yes. You can always lean over the table and say, Low uses they, them pronouns. And then often people will look a little confused, but that's a moment to be an ally and begin to do the work for us rather than making us have to do it every time. Mm -hmm. Are you finding that people are being more inclusive with uh, gendered pronouns now? Um, I saw an episode of Grey's Anatomy. Like, I guess I'm one of the last people that still watches Grey's Anatomy. Um, (laughs) But I saw an episode of Grey's Anatomy where a person came in and they used the they, them pronouns. And it was this educational experience because one of the doctors wouldn't use the pronouns Mm -hmm. because he was old school and older and didn't get it. And the other doctors that were like younger were convincing them like, no, this is not appropriate. This is this is what it is now. Like, mm-hmm. this is the way it is. Are you finding in more mainstream society seeing that message come across? Yeah, definitely. Um, you may have heard about the recent legislation in Maryland to get the gender X marker on our licenses. Yes. So now it's no longer that awkward moment of holding up a license that may or may not express who you are, particularly sure. visually. And also you're going to see Even here in the Central Library, we have gender-neutral bathrooms available in the teen wing, all down the second floor. And also, there's just been a lot of change. And the great part is the education you're seeing in pop culture. Can you imagine Grey's Anatomy educating people on a topic like this even 10 years ago? No. This is so great that they're using all kinds of media to make sure that people are being inclusive and talking about people the right way. How do you explain to people, you know, you do have people that say they is not, that's not grammatically correct. You know what I mean? (laughs) How do you explain that? Well, sometimes I do start by laughing because my favorite example is, well, you know, we're already using it. There's a new librarian coming in today and they're going to be substituting for one of our staff. We don't know who they are, but make sure that they're well oriented with the branch. Sure. Congratulations. You've just used the gender neutral pronoun, the singular they a whole bunch. Mm -hmm. It's actually been in use since the 1300s. (laughs) And I think one of the things that we really need to talk about when someone says that's grammatically incorrect or no way. won't use that is why. What is your reasoning once I take out the grammatically incorrect part of it? What is it that makes you uncomfortable? And how can I, and maybe not me, maybe anybody who hears that, how can we kind of break down that and say, well, what's really going on? How are you uncomfortable? Is it that you don't know when to use a gender neutral pronoun? Mm -hmm. 
these are all important things to work through because that way we can make sure that everybody is grammatically correct, which is so important, but also being inclusive in their language. Are there places that people can go to sort of educate themselves a little bit more about this? Things they can read, things yeah. they can, you know, how how do you learn about it? Well, the easiest way is actually in your library. Hey. We have um, a quick and easy guide to they, them pronouns, which is a graphic novel by Archie Bongiovanni. And that's in our teen sections and in some of our nonfiction sections. Uh-huh. And one of my favorite books is called Gender, Your Guide. And it's written by a non-binary academic, Lee Ayrton. Uh-huh. And it really breaks down a little bit more surrounding identity, pronouns, being inclusive. A lot of the questions that you may not feel comfortable asking your non-binary friends and coworkers, but that may be pressing. And definitely check those two out. And every day there are more and more articles and books coming out about using inclusive language, non-binary people, pronoun usage, all of that. You touched on a little bit uh, with the MX, but we're starting to see, like, if you're writing a letter to somebody, mm-hmm. uh, you're used to saying, like, Ms. McCorkle, this, that, you know, they call me Mrs. I'm not a Mrs., but um, you know what I mean? So, Does it bother you when someone calls you Mrs. and you're not? Occasionally, yes. Mm-hmm. But I guess it I understand it. It would bother it. me, too. Yes. See? Because I'm nowhere near that. <laughs> but... It's MX, so yeah. that's what you would use. So you could use MX, um, and that's pronounced mix, whenever you would like okay. to do a, um, a formal introduction to someone. But I think some of that is also we need to unpack why we're using, particularly an honorific. And you can always ask and say, how do you feel about honorifics? I once had a library manager when he was taking a group of preschoolers on a tour, and he leaned over and said, how do you feel about honorifics? And I said, I don't care for them. And so it was Miss Erin getting introduced and Miss Elizabeth and Lo. And it was just a great way that he checked in and said, like, how do you feel? And I was just like, nope. And when we're thinking about how we're respecting people, often we do want to use an honorific Mm -hmm. because we're saying, you are somebody that I don't know very well. I would like to make a good impression. And that's where using somebody's specific name or their preferred pronouns is what's going to make that respectability clear. Mm -hmm. So... It's a little new. It's a little different. And when in doubt, you can always use someone's full name in an email, in a letter, on a phone call, particularly if you don't know how they identify. Sure. I think people are so scared of offending anyone, right? Mm -hmm. So when people are speaking to you and they mistakenly use the wrong pronoun, is it like, you're done with them? No, I imagine not. But that is, Mm -hmm. I I think people do get that like, oh gosh, please don't let me offend anyone. Well, there are a few things you can do. The first one is don't make it a big deal Mm -hmm. and don't make it about you. This is something that I hear a lot is I get these over apologies, these I'm working on it, I'm so sorry. The best thing to do is to go, they, and then move on. Yes. Stop, correct yourself in the moment. And if you forget, you know, a quick email or an aside saying, you know, I'm sorry, I used the wrong pronoun, won't happen again. Sure. Make it quick, roll with it. Don't interrupt the conversation for it. Mm -hmm. Don't sort of redirect everything to make it about, I'm working on it. I'm so sorry. Just correct and move on. And sometimes you'll catch yourself days later. And that's a moment where you can go, oh no, You can make the choice of whether or not you do want to address it with them. Just a quick, hey, I realize what I did and I'm sorry. Mm -hmm. Or just make sure that you're a little bit more conscious the next time. Does it mean something when you know that someone's having a difficult time with it and they're trying? You know, I think trying is really the key. And trying is the most important thing. And there's nothing worse than having someone call you by the wrong name 
or the wrong job. Sure. This is a big thing in libraries. (laughs) And it's just something like that, where if you can really think about how would it feel if someone just mistakenly took the wrong approach with me and then just think about, well, I'm going to try not to do that. Uh And we recognize trying. We see it. We appreciate it. And the best thing is that watching someone try can be a really great introduction for someone else who is just learning about how to use gender neutral pronouns, how to talk to people with different identities. Uh What does it mean to you personally now seeing like all these government documents that are coming out that have a non-binary option? Because, you know, a year, two years ago, still on some forms that doesn't exist. I think it's great. I always make the joke that I'm exempt from so many laws because they say she or he. (laughs) Well, then I don't have to follow that. There you go. But it's a really great way to show us that we're really a part of the community, that we're part of the state, particularly with some of the Maryland laws. And even now, sometimes I'll send a quick document back to HR or someone and say, hey, could we just swap this out for they? Sure. Mostly because I can't follow this rule otherwise. (laughs) I will. I always will. Of course. But... It's just a reminder that when we're using inclusive language, we're including everybody and we're making everyone accountable. Yeah. What more do you think could be done societally to be more inclusive? I think it's really about listening Mm -hmm. um, and it's about kind of addressing things as they pop up. So if I send you back a document and say, hey, how about we change this she, her to they? That's a great time to go, oh, yeah, well, you're kind of the expert on this. Exactly. Or if someone sends you an email saying, hey, I understand we're going to be doing a press release and you're going to mention me in it. Here's a way to talk about me and really taking that in stride and saying, "Okay, will you help me a little bit with this? And admitting that sometimes we all need a little bit of help. And also, of course, listening listening to what we're saying, listening to what other people are saying, mm-hmm. and making sure that you're educating people around you, whether you use gender-neutral pronouns, whether you know someone who does, or even if it's just sort of this theoretical thing out there where there's someone out there in the world using gender-neutral pronouns, and you're not sure how it works, but you're going to try. Mm-hmm. Lois Smith, thank you so much for this conversation. Yeah, thanks for having me here. Join the Pratt Library Summer Challenge, June 12th through August 14th. Read books, attend programs, and win prizes like t-shirts, Orioles tickets, and more. Programs available for all ages. Sign up at your local Pratt Library branch or visit prattlibrary.org. Jabari Lyles is the LGBTQ affairs liaison to the Baltimore City Mayor's Office. He's also featured in the latest Baltimore Magazine, the first ever Pride edition, edited by Lydia Willever, who also joins us. Thank you guys so much for being here. I'm so excited. Yeah, thank you for having us. So Lydia, tell me, first of all, why did Baltimore Magazine decide to do a Pride edition? Well, so we were looking um, at the calendar for the year ahead, and we realized that this June would be the 50th anniversary of the Stonewall Uprising in New York, Uh which is a historic moment for the LGBTQ rights movement. And, you know, we were trying to think of what way should we localize this? What way should we bring this back to Baltimore? And we thought there's no better way to do it than to let the faces and the voices of the community speak for themselves. So we have a stunning photo essay featuring members of the community from across all different sectors. We have artists, we have activists, we have educators, we have families, we have friends. And each person tells us a little bit about what pride means to them now in 2019, 50 years later. And there's been a big evolution over the years. And, you know, we just kind of we're honored to be able to celebrate our city's 
incredible community, you know, through their own words. Jabari, what was your reaction when they reached out to you and told you that they were doing this issue? I was over the moon um, just to know that the LGBT community will be featured in such an awesome publication, such as the Baltimore Magazine was great. The fact that they even considered me to be in it was awesome. I had never done a magazine photo shoot or anything <laughs> like that. He was a pro. <laughs> a pro. <laughs> and you it all made it so like easy. It. <laughs> um, and so, you know, for me, I guess it was twofold. One, just the fact that our community is being shown in this way and how important that is for our city and for our history. Mm-hmm. Um, and also the fact that I get to be in it. So that was <laughs> so cool. What does it mean to you for people that are not members of the LGBTQ plus community to see this issue, to have it on the newsstands right. next to Vogue and Cosmopolitan and everything um, so that people can maybe educate themselves and learn more? Absolutely. Visibility is huge for our community. And I think that you don't know what you don't see. And um, for the LGBT community, we've often been relegated to the corners of our society. Mm-hmm. And the fact that here we are front and center in Baltimore Magazine being celebrated and not being something that is ridiculed or pitied, um, but being celebrated is is just so incredible um, and means so much to me and so many others in the community. I know one of the things that the editors asked everybody was really, what does pride uh, mean to you and what does that word mean? And I thought you said something so profound. You said pride is a fight to exist, to be who you are, to be seen. What does that mean and why is that so important? Yeah, well, as Lydia said, this is the 50th anniversary of the Stonewall uprisings. Mm -hmm. And, you know, many people regard that as the birth of the LGBT movement, but also the start of pride parades. And pride parades are awesome and fun and all that good stuff. But I think people miss the very violent, riotous origins of pride. Mm -hmm. Um, And that literally people had to fight for their lives, fight to be who they are. Um, And I think that It's great to celebrate Pride and have the fun and, you know, dance on the floats and all that good stuff. Uh But we still have to keep in mind that Pride came out of a riot. It came out of a fight. um, And people are still losing their lives and risking their lives um, to be who they are. So um, I think my comments were just to remind people to make sure that Pride stays rooted in, in that. And that it isn't easy for all of us to be who we are. And it is still a fight for so many. Mm-hmm. Lydia, what are you hoping the impact of this issue will be for people who are buying it on the newsstands? Well, that's something we thought a lot about. Um, and I think I think it's something that you've both touched on. I think it's definitely celebration. I think it's a celebration of all the incredible hard work that so many individuals are doing within this community. I mean, we have Jabari here who for a long time was an educator and he'd go into city schools and, you know, talk to youth. Um, You know, we have Ava Pipitone who is working to create um, housing for the transgender community. Um, We have Jamie Grace Alexander, who's with the Baltimore Transgender Alliance, who is an incredible activist here in the city across all different spectrums. You know, there's so much work being done and we really want to celebrate that. At the same time, you know, visibility, as Jabari mentioned, and just awareness. You know, we've been covering the LGBTQ community for a long time, but we decided, you know, for this year for this month, we need to go big and make this bold and put, you know, a beautiful cover with someone from the community on it so that people are inspired to pick up the issue and to maybe learn something that they didn't know. Mm-hmm. Jabari, I know this year's Pride in Baltimore diversity mm-hmm. is um, one of the main themes. Why is that so important? 
Well, we know that folks in the LGBT community, we can't just be LGBTQ. So mm-hmm. we also are LGBT folks of color, or LGBT people with different abilities. And I think that true liberation and true community building is including all of those identities in the picture. So diversity is really just a call to action for us to recognize all the differences that we have in our community. So we are the LGBT community, but even the L and the G and the B and the T are all different. Mm -hmm. So, you know, sometimes we see that uh, certain identities maybe take the stage or uh, are a little bit more centered than others when it comes to gender and race. And so, you know, forces of oppression such as misogyny and sexism and transphobia um, sometimes still don't give people in the LGBT community the limelight that they should. So that diversity piece is really just to say we are a community, but let's look at the people who are different, um, the identities that we don't often see and celebrate them all. Mm -hmm. There are so many communities coming together within the LGBTQ community. When they all come together for this pride celebration, why is it so important for all of those communities to come together? Yeah, because no matter if you are the L, the G, or the B, or the T, all of us are sort of facing similar struggles when it comes to dominant societal norms and expectations around gender and sexuality. And so even though all of these identities have differences, this is the day that we can all join hands together and say, you know, we are who we are. We take pride in who we are. Mm -hmm. We take pride in being Baltimoreans, but also LGBT folks. Um, And we may have our differences among the letters, but today we celebrate together as a community. Mm -hmm. Um, And that's just so awesome. You're working in City Hall for your communities. How has that been and what have you been able to accomplish and how much further do we have to go? Yeah, the fact that our city government has a position, you know, Mm -hmm. to support the LGBT community. I mean, I've been doing this for, gosh, I started in September, so not even a year. It gives me goosebumps still to Mm -hmm. go into the, the building of our city government and say, wow, 10, 15, 20, 100 years ago, no one could have ever dreamt that a position like this exists. So I'm just so fortunate and honored to to bring my community inside of City Hall and to represent them and, and represent their interests. So that's huge. Um, the community has largely taken care of itself for a really long time. Mm-hmm. And so my position kind of uh, signifies a change where Baltimore government is saying, you know what, you are a part of our city. Um, let's do a little uh, catching up, I suppose, um, around the needs of these communities. You think of other cities like Miami and Washington, D.C. and Philadelphia, where their communities are embraced and visible. And Baltimore has just as cool, just as queer, just as vibrant (laughs) um, of a community than any of these cities. So the fact that I get to be the person to lead that charge, I just, the, the biggest word that comes to my head is just fortunate. And so we've been able to really hold the government accountable to things that it should have already done. Um, We had a town hall a couple months ago and we asked the LGBT community, you know, what do you want? What are the issues? Um, And they said things like jobs, housing, employment, health, safety. And this isn't different than the average Baltimorean. Um, but everybody's what looking for, right? right? Yeah. Right. But we do recognize that the barriers that um, exist to to keep the LGBT community away from those things are different. Mm-hmm. So how do we tackle discrimination and harassment and bias um, and violence um, to make sure that the LGBT community gets its due, just like everybody else. Um, So we're working on economic stability programs. We uh, recently uh, announced legislation to make all gender neutral or single stall restrooms um, labeled as gender neutral. Mm -hmm. And of course, that's not going to solve the 
epidemic of LGBT discrimination, but it's one important step forward. Um, So working with the Baltimore City Council to make laws and policies that uh, include our community, working with uh, nonprofits to build programs, Mm -hmm. uh, working with philanthropy organizations to boost funding. Um, These are all things that we're doing. And I think right now for the first year, Baltimore is just playing a little bit of catch up. And uh, after a while, we'll start to see, you know, more awesome projects like this so that Baltimore, um, when we think about the image of Baltimore, the LGBT community is salient within that image. So there is an article in the magazine called There Goes the Gayberhood. Uh, What is it about and what impact are you hoping that article has? Um, so there goes the neighborhood is actually in place of our in, of our monthly bar exam and our writer Jess Mayhew, who's covered um, kind of the nightlife scene in Baltimore for quite some time, talks about how as you know kind of iconic. LGBTQ bars close, you know, Club Hippo, Uh Grand Central, Uh um, you know, what comes next and what what does a a new space look like in 2019? And, you know, she kind of in that way talks about what you guys were just talking about in the she talks about diversity and inclusivity and how the new events and the new spaces that are opening up are really working hard to incorporate both of those things and everyone into their spaces. You know, for a long time, Many of the spaces in Mount Vernon were largely for gay white men or, or for instance, the Baltimore Eagle was thought by many to be just, you know, a leather bar. Sure. But, you know, the Eagle has reopened. Uh Um, They're working hard to do to have more inclusive programming. And, you know, I think Jabari can speak to why that's so important. But, you know, it seems that there's a lot of fear as those places have have closed down. But it seems that maybe there's some hope in the new yeah, yeah. There are a lot of people who are um, disgruntled and disappointed that many of our gay bars are closing. Sure, in a short um, period of time, too. Definitely, yeah. yeah. And, you know, you have mainstays like the Hippo, um, and then to now see it be a CBS. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> and, you know, the, the other day I heard someone say, which was hilarious, that I met my boyfriend next to the Band-Aids. <laughs> um, and, you know, now Central, of course, is closing. And the role of the gay bar has changed, you know. Um, it, it played a different role years ago. That was one of the few spaces that LGBT folks could go and feel safe and meet people and not feel strange and not feel like uh, targets of violence and discrimination. And so I think that the the, the fact that these bars are closing um, is a good thing and a bad thing. Mm-hmm. One, it, it kind of shows that our society is becoming a little bit more progressive and a bar doesn't necessarily have to be called a gay bar. Sure. That people can just go to the bar. Um, and be fine. But we know that there's still plenty of people in our community who don't feel safe going to places like Fells Point or Canton and still really need those spaces. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I think that for me, uh, it's good to encourage the community to recognize that balance and recognize that we do have to preserve spaces that are ours. Um, that is really important. But we also should also feel welcome to take up spaces that aren't ours sure. and make them ours. And so the fact that places like the um, are becoming a little bit more open and inclusive. Mm-hmm. But then you're seeing drag shows show up at places like El Buffalo in Canton, yep. um, I think is also really cool to see Baltimore moving in that direction. Mm-hmm. 
Lydia, uh, beyond the issue, where can people go to see more content that you guys have produced? Yeah, so the issue's on stands now and it will be for the month of June. And then you can also go onto our website, baltimoremagazine.com backslash pride. We'll have um, coverage throughout the month, events, um, profiles, talking about um, you know different happenings. Um, but we'll also have an extended version of this feature itself with additional quotes, additional photographs. So you can really see how much fun we had over the two days that we, you know, shot this beautiful feature. Yes, just looking at the pictures, it looks like a pretty fun time. It was so fun. fun. We were just listening to music and laughing and having very poignant conversations at the same time. It was was a good two days. Great. Well, you can pick up that issue today and it's baltimoremagazine.com, right? That's correct. All right, great. Lydia Jabari, thank you so much for joining us. Thank you. Thank you. The Pratt Hamden branch is getting a makeover. Major renovations are underway but you can still access library services nearby at the Hamden Family Center. Stop in for weekly story times, pick up books on hold, get help on the computer, and more. More details at prattlibrary.org. I'm Megan McCorkle, and you've been listening to the Free to Be More podcast by the Enoch Pratt Free Library. You can follow the Pratt on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook. If you haven't yet, go to Apple Podcasts and subscribe, rate, and review this podcast. Join me next month for another Free to Be More conversation. Thanks for listening.